Few athletes, if any, will experience a smooth journey to success, irrespective of speed, strength, talent, commitment or courage. Every athlete will at some point face adversity. So how can you turn adversity into a positive and benefit from facing the inevitable challenge? This is Medals and More, the podcast getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. I'm Catherine Granger and in this episode we discuss adversity and the opportunities it can bring. A common reflection you'll hear from athletes when considering their career is what a roller coaster it's been. A time of spine-tingling highs, soul-destroying lows and everything in between. It is thrilling and challenging all at once. Every single athlete I've met and admired will talk openly about their failures as well as their successes. They accept that to dare greatly is to risk failure, but the risk is worthwhile and indeed is part of trying to do something truly extraordinary. The risk doesn't put them off because the experiences they gain from taking those risks, from facing adversity, become an advantage. I know I was a better athlete, a better person, from the process of continually challenging and constantly learning. So with less than a year to go to the Beijing Olympics, we hear from two of our Winter Olympians how they've overcome adversity and have embraced the opportunity it provided, both on and off the ice. Hi everyone, I'm Elise Christie, I'm a short track speed skater, um, I'm a multiple world champion and I'm a three times Olympian. Hi, I'm David Murdoch, Olympic silver medalist, two-time world champion for curling. I'm currently the Olympic head coach for British curling. There was me in my third Olympics. I was 10 years older than the rest of my team and it was their first Olympics. So, you know, you, you couldn't really show any sort of, you know, I'm nervous part. You had to, you had to lead the team. Why am I getting the narrative of coming fourth place at the Olympic Games? Like, yes, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what anyone wanted, but it was what had happened. And it was like, you know, the, I was one place off a medal. This is Medals and More, the podcast getting behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. Elise Christie is already a three-time Olympian, having competed at the age of 20 in Vancouver. The short track speed skater has gone on to dominate the European scene, winning 10 titles and becoming the first ever British woman to win a speed skating world championship. But in consecutive Olympic Games, with medal opportunities in the 500 metres, 1500 metres and 1000 metres, Elise suffered three disqualifications at Sochi 2014 and in Pyeongchang 2018, another disqualification and two falls. But as we're about to hear, the Beijing Olympics in 2022 brings fresh hope and a newfound love for skating. The fact that there's no distractions is quite difficult sometimes because I, like, I'm 24-7 speed skating then, you know, and everything's about it, which I think a lot of like elite top athletes deal with that issue, I think. Um, but no, I've definitely, over the last few years, um, improved with that side of things and like you know everyone knows the used to class it's like a life or death situation and <laughs> I've tried to uh calm that tone down a bit and see it as like you know it's fun as well you know I do like it <laughs> so that was the thing about the pandemic is it you know it made me miss skating a lot because and I, I know not that I wanted to miss all that time or anything like that but 
actually seen that I do miss it and you know I do love it at the same time as like all the stress it causes you you know. <laughs> Less than a year to go now to Beijing Winter Olympics and it's a strange time isn't it because often when the when the year to go countdown clock kicks in you start to feel there's a sort of change in gear and suddenly it's coming fast but obviously we're in these extraordinary times where you know competition isn't really possible in the same way we're used to so it's just I mean it's lovely to hear actually the perspective shifts and that you actually are realize how much you love it and how much you appreciate it when you cannot do it yeah. and yet the biggest sort of pressure moment is building kind of where are you on that scale of oh, I just want to get back on ice and I love it and I miss it and and meanwhile there's this huge thing around the corner coming fast now it's funny because like it's not the way I expected the you know my lead up to the games to go I was thinking I was gonna have the same as what I normally have where I perform quite well consistently for three or four years in the lead up and, and another cycle the exact same and actually I ended up having a bit of a nightmare you know like I ended up having my um, appendix taken out got really sick from that and missed so much training and then didn't get along with the coach I was working with for a while so it wasn't skating very well and and it all kind of went the opposite way to normal and the opposite way to what I wanted so and then obviously when things started to go well and now I'm working with a great team that I get along with and things are going really well we've not been able to go away and race so it's just like yeah it is a bit weird that it was now a year ago and I'm like I genuinely haven't raced properly since the last Olympic season I mean I've done a couple of races here and there but I've never been at fitness so I'm like but in some ways I'm like in positive sight is like you know there's no chance I'm going to be burnt out mentally or physically which I felt a bit like I was in Pyeongchang and then but also, like, um, I think it gives me a bit of an upper hand on my opponents. Like, last time they had eight years worth of footage to analyse what I was doing. And, and you know, it's racing such a big part of our sport and the skill set. So I think my coach I work with now has done a lot of work on actually my weaknesses and, like, not necessarily being just the strongest in the world, but actually becoming way more adaptable because I was kind of one-dimensional before. And no, no one's got to see that. And they'll only probably get to see it at like two or three competitions before the games. So I do quite like that <laughs> in that sense. And it's nice to have just missed racing. You know, I'd, at one point, it, racing to me was just about winning medals and this machine that every time I race, I had to be on top of my game. And and now it's like, I actually just want to go race because, you know, I want to speed skate and, and do what we do it for. You know, we're not sport that just go out and go as hard as they can in terms of like physically. And it's all about, you know, the fastest times you do. It's about the racing and the adrenaline and um, and we miss that. So, yeah, I think it's been a weird few years, but in some ways it's not the way they've chosen it to go. And I didn't ever let it go like this, <laughs> but I think it's good that it has in some ways because I've got a year to go in that way. I can really just keep building and pushing. And, you know, I, I really want to do it, not just for the medal, but because I want to do the sport. So I think, like, before it was kind of like I just wanted the medal. There was no bit of me going, like, I'm really enjoying this right now. I really like the challenge. I just wanted the medal, you know. Like, now I feel like it comes hand in hand. So, yeah, I'm quite excited. A year ago, it seems mad, but, yeah, I'm really excited about what, the next year will bring um, and then and then finishing my career obviously on a high note in terms of getting the medal but also being happy. <laughs> Beijing will be your, your fourth Olympics if you go back to I mean Vancouver was your first games can you remember kind of how you were feeling at that point what it was like you know the first experience at that level? Yeah it's weird actually because like I always say um most most obviously athletes that make a world champion or people who have sat there all their life and gone you know I want to be a world champion and Olympic medalist and I was never like that um 
didn't even really like sport that much when I was younger <laughs> I had a lot of energy but I was very academic so for me it was like something my mum encouraged me to do because I'd had the opportunity um, and then and then suddenly like I qualified for the Olympics without me really meaning to or expecting so like I was training hard yeah but I'd only been on the team about a year and a half <laughs> and then uh, and and I'd done from doing it once a week to yeah I was doing it like you know four or five days a week uh, around college but yeah I was suddenly at the Olympics and I was like okay and I didn't really take in what that meant at the time and then you know I went there and it was the best Olympics I've been to you know because it was in Canada so it was amazing um and I really enjoyed it you know I raced the way the best I could and I came home and it was after I came home I was kind of like well there's really no point in doing another Olympics just to be there so I was like do I just pack it all up now or like you know do I do this properly and like I was very negative about the whole thing but then I kind of sat there and I was like but why? I was like, I don't understand why. And I couldn't come up with a legitimate reason. Yes, I could come up with excuses, but there's no legitimate reason to say why I couldn't become the best. Like, you know, I had funding and I had a team around me and I just needed to utilise that well. Um, so that was kind of where I sat down with Nick Uber, the coach at the time and went like, okay, so how are we going to start winning? And, you know, we built our plan alongside UK Sport <laughs> and everyone else around me, the team. And we built an eight-year plan that was supposed to obviously end up in Pyeongchang being Olympic champion and pretty much followed it year by year exactly how it's supposed to go until obviously the both Olympics went wrong but other than that everything on the plan uh, went exactly how it was supposed to go so it was um yeah it was quite interesting because I went into that first Olympics just like hey what's going on what's an Olympics really like hadn't really grown up watching Olympics and stuff and then came out of it like you know I, I want to be the best like how can I how can I be the best, especially in a sport where it's quite small in the UK? Like, how am I going to make people have to beat me, I suppose? And it was incredible because, as you said, you know, from one one games in Vancouver where it was just, you know, wow, it's exciting. I've not been on the team long. What's this all about? To four years later in Sochi, you would have felt much more of your own expectation being successful already by that point. And then like, the game sort of comes around. And that that is, you know, any of us who are in Olympic or Paralympic sport, it's that once every four years, even with world championships, even with European championships, you know, it's the Olympic Games you want to deliver at. And, uh, you know, your sport is famously unpredictable. The short track of all sports seem to be anything could happen at any point. And, yeah. you know, I think that's probably when you became known in sort of Sochi for those three different events. And it felt like three incredibly harsh lessons to learn. Yeah the games of how easily things can go horribly wrong and going from your you know Vancouver just great to be there and compete to suddenly Sochi you're, you're going to try and deliver at the very top how different did that feel and how I mean was that much harder to then compete at was it more exciting was it where where were you kind of through that Sochi period I was a bit naive going in thinking you know, like no one watches short track <laughs> no one knows who I am I had a few you know maybe a thousand followers and on Twitter or something and thought you know they're my little loyal fans and and that was about it. So I was naive to go in thinking that that wouldn't change. Although obviously I didn't expect it wouldn't. It shouldn't, it shouldn't have probably blew up the man it did. But then at the same time, like you know, all I was thinking was like, this is this is not my peak games, but it's the games where you know I can make my dream come true. I know I'm capable. I was quite inexperienced, I'd say, in terms of like I'd only been winning medals for about a year and a half um, before I went. Although I was winning medals a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't, 
a prolific, what well, a class is prolific winner at that point. So I knew like there was chances that with it short track being the way it is, although I was one of the strongest in the competition, that there was other bits to it. I've never been an athlete that really gets penalties. <laughs> I'm quite like, I'm known as very gentle, clean racer. You know, it was just mad the way it played out. And I think, um, I think, ugh, I wish you could go back in hindsight and know how it was going to blow up beforehand. And um, I think we were a very inexperienced team in general, not just me, but, you know, we'd, we'd never really had someone who'd had attention, um, whether it be good or bad. <laughs> um, so to go from that to be a team that had this person getting death threats and um, whatever else, we, none of us had any idea how to deal with it. You know, it wasn't just me. So we, we, had, we, we did a lot of learning through that. Sochi is a look at it as different to Pyeongchang. Like at the time, I made mistakes. Uh, the referee made a few mistakes, but I felt like at the time I was in like you look, like I, I took the responsibility over it because I was like, well, it wasn't like I, I walked away thinking you know it's just the referee's fault or or it's just you know I had made mistakes, so I was like, willing to go out and get home and learn. But it, it was just weird because um. I remember after the first race when the deficits happened, I come come out of drug, drug testing and went went into the dining hall and uh, I pulled my phone out for the first time that day because obviously when you're at racing you don't really go on your phone and whatever else. And someone just took, I can't remember it was Nick the coach or someone to remember they're like I don't look at your phone right now and I just obviously then I'm like well I'm gonna look at it now <laughs> and that was when I just remember sitting there thinking my life was over you know and it was I'd never. Experienced I've I've been bullied when I was younger and things. I've never experienced public humiliation, I suppose, and that's like what it really felt like. Was like I was, and okay, yeah. If you read into it properly, there was a lot of positive stuff too. You know, like and the only thing I could think of was that I had never been in a five hundred meter final before, so I never raced five hundred. So my first ever five hundred meter final was in an Olympic final. So I made a mistake, <laughs> um, but I was so inexperienced in them. And um, and that all that was going through my head is I've just made an Olympic final. Okay, uh, the decision's not gone my way. It could have gone my way. One of those things. And I'm sitting there getting that short track, you know. And, and yeah, I'm gutted. I've lost an Olympic medal, but I've got two more chances. And I just remember thinking, oh, <laughs> right. Well, I wasn't expecting any attention, <laughs> never mind negative attention. <laughs> Um, and it was just like, I think actually like we go on about the, the death threats and, and they affected me psychologically quite badly later down the line. But at the time it was more, why am I getting annihilated over coming fourth place at the Olympic Games? Like, yes, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what anyone wanted, but it was what had happened. And it was like, you know, the, I was one place off a medal. Um, but then obviously the second one happened and the worst bit about that was I had no idea why I'd been DQ'd. So I was walking through the media zone going, they were going, why have you been, why have you been penalised? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I hadn't obviously had contact with anyone. And then it came out, obviously, and this is something they never DQ for. Um, I hadn't crossed the finish line. And the only time they ever call that is if your time doesn't pop up on the screen, which obviously I was like a millimetre inside the line. So it was just weird because they never call for that. I remember before the last distance, this is my best distance, you know, the last one. I went into it and knowing it was my best distance and it was so frustrating, you know, like that one was the one that I classed as the terrible decision as well because I was qualifying at half lap to go and the girl fell behind me and knocked me over from behind. 
um, and somehow he decided to penalise me for it, which is ridiculous. Um, and you should never call double penalty. So you normally either penalise one or you don't penalise if you think both are involved. The Olympics was over and it didn't really hit me for a while because all I did was think, oh, I've got World Championships in two weeks. I just need to get on with it. Very few of us, thankfully, get to experience death threats. But I, I mean, how is that to experience and how serious did you take that and how did that affect you? So at the time in the village, I knew it had impacted me, but um, I didn't realise the extent I had because um, at the time I'm just thinking about the medals and you know what I'm losing and what I'm trying to gain and whatever else but when I came home I got really bad I was scared to be on my own in the house and like um and I'd taken them very seriously and I don't like even if I chatted it through and was logical about it my brain still took it very seriously so it, it didn't really matter it was still just in my head that it was it was real and um and yeah I became this is what like I always say I'm a very internal person and I never used to be and it came from that uh because like I, I then started getting obviously social anxiety and couldn't stand in large groups and and yeah I think it didn't help because I talk about this a lot where I'd had a fire a few years prior like two years prior to this um and I think my brain linked the fact that like I nearly died then so this is the same thing, you know, and you, you maybe you should be dead. It was almost just like, it was traumatising everything, obviously. But, um, and at the time, I didn't have a clue what was going on. I just knew <laughs> that I was scared. And then the problem then arose that, so when I skated, I started to get an occasions of anxiety where my brain was then traumatising the fact that skating had caused this problem. And then, so if I tried to skate a relay, I couldn't skate, which is the four-man event where you skate together and I couldn't skate them because of the pressure from it the fact that my brain was like yeah but if you mess up for more than just you it's even worse so I ended up not actually being able to skate relays for a while um and just had to focus on the individual did any part of you through this think you know I got into sport because I loved it or because my mum suggested mm -hmm. I go into it and mm -hmm. it was supposed to be about fun and enjoyment and now in your words it's it's traumatizing me and I'm getting death threats I'd rather just not do it I'd rather walk away did you have have that sort of between Sochi and, and Pyeongchang of thinking is this worth it not really because at the time all I was thinking I was proving everyone wrong and I knew that Pyeongchang had always been the major goal so for me it was just like I had to be setting on with it um and that's what I did and they kind of just put Sochi behind me and obviously the, part of the issue that happened between Sochi and Pyeongchang was that mental health back then wasn't as um, talked about or as understood. So I went a very long time untreated, obviously. Yeah, at the time, I, I didn't even know what I was thinking. All I was focused on was Pyeongchang and um, just get proving everyone wrong, keeping, the, you know, trying to win it for me, for everyone who'd stuck by me throughout it. You know, including the fans and the funding and, and my coach and you know it was like but but at the same time that's how much pressure I was putting on it you know and I think like that's what then made it a, like a life or death situation to me was that it meant that competition ended up meaning everything and nothing else really mattered. And can you can you remember sort of the eve of Pyeongchang what you were was there excitement that, you know, this is the, like you said, even even almost before Sochi, you knew Pyeongchang was realistically your best chance coming yeah. and this, this is the big one for you. Were you kind of thrilled, excited to hear now or were you feeling 
just pressure, just expectation, and and you know I've got to get this right. I was excited, um, but it, it switched. You no know, points I was excited, and other points I thought, oh, what about if it happens again? That was always in my head, but it was never the the, the dominating factor was like you know I've got this. It's three distances. Um, I always knew, obviously, the five and the thousand were more of my focus this time. And then obviously, you know, I was thinking if I would get the medal in the five, which I thought I was pretty much gonna, uh, then I can go and try and win the thousand. The thousand was always like, you know, so I'm planning. But it, there was there was thoughts in my head around that it could happen again that probably I wasn't prepared to actually deal with. I think it had just been avoided because people just thought, you know, it can't, you can't, it can't happen again. So I think we just avoided it, um, which probably, again, in hindsight, wasn't the best thing to do. <laughs> but it's easy in hindsight, isn't it? First race is the 500, like you said, the one that kind of expects to be on the podium for that. When that one doesn't go to plan, what do you think at that point? It was the most frustrating event in the world. The thing about the five, which made it slightly better, was completely out of my control what happened. I sat there when I first hit the boards and I'd been knocked over and was like, oh God, it's going to happen again. Like, that was my first thought as I hit the boards. And I couldn't believe it, you know, I, I was about to win a silver medal and it just got taken away the last half lap. And I sat, yeah, I sat there in the boards and I thought, you know, it's going to happen again. And I was like, then I was like, don't feel like that. <laughs> you know, like, you still, you've got a day to refresh. Um, you still got your best distance, like the same for as last time. And then I knew I had the 15 in the middle. And actually, I spoke to my coach at points about maybe not skating the 1500. Because although, yes, um, at the time I was super strong in it, I was wanting to focus on the main distance. But actually, you know, our medals and medals. So um, we decided to stay in the event. But yeah, no, it was, there, there was bigger thoughts in my head at that point about it happening again. But then obviously I got on the 15 and the one thing that had never happened at the Olympics to me was that I got injured. <laughs> and like we spoke about this, with, you know, what happens if you get injured? And you just think, I never fall and get injured. Like I never get taken out and get injured. It's not going to happen. But you have to talk about it. I got taken out, went into the barrier and, and then um, I knew right then that it was over you know like that's the most pain I've ever been in when I've fallen I was telling them to take my skate off because I could feel my it molded to your feet you know in the carbon fiber and my foot swelling inside it and I could feel it and I'm like if you guys don't get the skate off soon or let me get it off it's not coming off <laughs> and then you have to like saw the bar off and I was like um and I was in at this moment there was three things going through my head there was the pain I was in which was the main one there was obviously the fact that I had two days until I was supposed to be racing again. I mean, I was never going to get on and race that day relevant to the decision they made. So that didn't really matter. But And then I was thinking about my poor mum, you know, sat in the stands watching this. And I was like, I can't even imagine what she's feeling because I think it's almost worse being the mum than the person in it. <laughs> and then, um, and then yeah, so I went to the hospital and... And we, you know, everyone was just trying to keep my spirits high or whatever. And all I kept saying was, I'm not going to win an Olympic medal. And that was all I was, <laughs> I didn't know what was wrong with my body or anything like that. I knew I was in pain, but that's all I could think about. And I know, like, 
got back from the hospital and then uh, Charlotte, you know, my teammate at the time, who's my best friend, and then Nick, my coach, came into the apartment and I was sitting there very, like, I guess numb, which I think is a very normal response at the time. Like, you know, I was, I was in pain and, like, just wasn't emotional or anything and they both came in and started crying and I just told them both get out. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't need that right now, go. I was like, don't cry. And I felt horrible at the same because they were just doing it because they cared so much. But, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with feeling that at that point because, all it, again, all that went in my head was like, will I be able to get back on? The situation seems ridiculous to me now that I did. Because <laughs> I don't know how I did it because I couldn't walk. I couldn't put a trainer on. You know, like, it didn't skate the whole lead-up into the next event other than that morning. And I literally, like, there's different types of blades you get. And I was very lucky that I'd taken loads of different blades because Nick was like that. And I had an, um, a really soft blade that's made of aluminium. And I tried to skip my normal blade, which was steel, and I couldn't push it, like, because my ankle was just so sore. And um, he put the aluminium one on, and it felt weird. You know, I hadn't skated on this blade in years. And I was just like, yeah, but I can actually move it a bit. And then, you know, everyone's saying, I don't think you should skate. Because <laughs> I couldn't even tie my skate. It was literally just Velcroed onto my foot. And I had to get someone else to put it on for me. And oh, it was just, I can't describe the pain it was. But it was just like, you know, I, I felt like I just had to get through this one race. And then I had another day and a half. <laughs> and I'd be fine, you know. And... I'd somehow manage it because I just felt like that's what I'm like. <laughs> at that point, are you still thinking, you know, this is still an event I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good at. I could still deliver a, a medal. The moment I fell, I didn't. But I just believed that because I constantly go through controversy and like whatever else that I could do this. And I felt like um, I wouldn't win. I didn't think I was going to win because winning is much harder than meddling in short track. But I believed I could medal, yeah. And then it was just the weirdest event, like, I didn't obviously warm up that day, and I get on, you can, and then the referee's in the heat box initially before you get on, and you can see I'm, like, you know, struggling, and he's watching me. <laughs> and then um, I get on the ice, and obviously in the first start, the girl stands directly on my ankle that I've <laughs> injured. Oh, I thought I'd never felt pain like that before. And when that happened, it shot up. I thought it was a 10 out of 10. I went to like 20 out of 20. <laughs> I was like, I can't even describe it. I was like, you know, my eyes were watering just from the agony of it. And I'm sat in the barrier and he comes over and he took the referee and he turns around to me and goes, You need to get off. And I, you know what? <laughs> I said, I'm not getting off. <laughs> like at that point I was like no and so I stood up spoke to my physio for a minute just said she's going to get off you know she's telling me to get off and I'm like no I'm not getting off and I was like I need to go check my blade and and the referee's chasing after me going at least you need to get off you're not safe to skate he was literally saying these exact words and I went over to Nick got him because you can loosen and tighten your blade and he goes to Nick she needs to get off and Nick just went will you shut up <laughs> And then I started to skate over to the lane and he shouted at me as I went up to the lane. He goes, if you can't skate properly, I want you in the middle of the ice, like as in to come off the track and going in the middle. Um, and this whole time I was like ignoring him. I didn't even emotionally really react to him. I didn't say anything back. It just went OK. And then um, obviously we went off the start. I then couldn't start because my foot was so sore. 
and had to catch the pack up. So I was like, you know, <laughs> first lap in, I'm like quite a lap down on them. And then, uh, you know, I just thought, just calmly, you'll get there, you'll get there. Caught up, did two passes somehow on a foot that <laughs> isn't working and, and I qualified. And I, you know what, I wasn't even happy. I just went like, job done. Let's get this rested and, and do what we can for the next day. It's only three more rounds you got to get through. And I don't know how I thought I was going to get through three more rounds because on that day where we had one race, Nick had to carry me into the media zone because I couldn't even walk on my skate. I don't know what world I was living in, but I just had that, as an athlete, I had that hope and belief, you know, and and in the moment I was determined to do it. Uh, and then obviously yellow carded me. And I did nothing wrong in that race. You know, I did two clean passes where someone tried to take a hit on me because they knew I was injured, but I was past the girl and he yellow carded me. And I've never had a yellow card in my entire career. Like yellow card is dangerous. It means you've been dangerous, you know, like, <laughs> like normally you see them getting given out and someone wipes a whole pack out or something. And I just couldn't believe it. And then it took me about, four or five attempts to get through the mix zone so I'd think yeah you know what I just want to get it done so I'd walk in but then I'd start like choking and crying and have to walk back out and I had to do that like five times and it was just like I just wanted it over with you know I did and Nick was going don't go through and I was like well it's not really fair on everyone who has you know stood there and what or sat up to watch that I don't say anything um but it was it was the hardest mix zone I've ever had to do by far but how long after leaving Pyeongchang does it take to get to come to terms with those results and and you know the the huge we all have it you know that huge four year if not longer build up to those games and then ultimately accepting you're walking away without without anything that you hoped I mean how long does that take to adjust to? I can still sit here and be quite mad about it now (laughs) um but I think initially, I, I was quite numb for about, I'd say, two months where I didn't I didn't even think I'd been at the Games. It was almost like I'd completely blanked out. And sometimes I'd like, you know, if I went to sleep at night, I'd wake up and think, oh, I've got the Olympics soon. I'd be like, oh, no, I've been. And it was bad, you know. It didn't, it went, it went worse than the last one, probably. Uh, and so it took a while from the brain to even acknowledge that it's happened and been there and accept it and then as I started to accept it I started to become very different like uh very erratic very emotional you know I wasn't and I was obviously at this point struggling with mental health anyway and um I don't know became I'd based all my worth on the Olympics and an Olympic medal which isn't healthy anyway. So you never had meddled. It's not a healthy way to be in terms of I've allowed what happened in Sochi to define who I am almost. And and, and, and and I felt like I had to prove to everyone that I'm worth something just by winning a medal, um, which, you know, I've won medals my entire career. Um, it really isn't a healthy way to be based on one medal in a very erratic sport <laughs> um but yeah and, and and then obviously I gradually then started to self-harm and sometimes the self-harm was based on um not feeling anything and I needed to feel something and sometimes it was based on an overwhelming pain inside me like you know and I couldn't deal with 
how I felt about myself and the disappointment in myself and, and the pain that by cutting would take it away. Um, and obviously, um, as people are aware, I then like spiralled quite bad and and actually like a lot happened and, and there was no real, everyone goes, was a significant moment where you got to that point in December 2018. I was like, no, actually, like what had happened was I got told I was going to European Championships and I I wasn't ready. And it wasn't that this was what caused it at all, because obviously I wanted to race, but I didn't feel ready to do my first event since the Olympics yet. Um, just in terms of, I felt like people were going to be watching me. I hadn't skated much because I'd been injured, obviously, from the Olympics most of the season. And I just I just panicked. And then I just got to the point where, I always say, like, it, I wouldn't call it suicide because I didn't actually want to die. But I couldn't feel this anymore, you know. I wanted the feeling to go, and the only way I seen out was by being gone, you know. And then, obviously, as soon as it happened, I was like, I don't want to die. And then, you know, it was a, it was a moment that, although I wish I hadn't got to that, it, it changed me back, you know. And it, it was a defining moment that I needed to go through, I suppose. And gradually, since then. You know, I've, I've got myself back and, and, and got back to normal. What would you say you, you learned the most about yourself through all that period when you look back now? That I wasn't, I wasn't being human, I suppose. Like, I had turned myself into a robot going out and winning medals and, and it wasn't actually something anyone else had turned me into. I'd done that to me. And, um, and I learned that, actually like okay everyone thinks I'm dead tough and I thought I was really tough but mate, I'm, I'm not like I'm just normal like everyone else and I was just avoiding it um and yes okay I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm weak-minded or anything like that but, but you know I made myself ill by pretending to be really tough and 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 I didn't ever allow myself to be human and actually if I could go back and deal with Sochi like a human probably would have been in a much better place after Pyeongchang and going into Pyeongchang. So it's you know it's easy for me to sit there now and do that. And I actually really it's such a good relationship with the coach I'm working with now because he's so into like people being human first. <laughs> um, and he's always like you know if you're happy, a happy skater is a fast skater and things like that. So um, so I've actually ended up really lucky with who I work with now. And is that is that really helps you going? forward to sort of the Beijing games next year thinking you know thinking about yourself as more than just just an athlete delivering a result and and actually the the joy that you get from it the enjoyment about competing you know will be as important as the result at the end of the day yeah I mean like I, I know I'm going into this one possibly not even my physical fairness compared to Pyeongchang uh, I'm still very capable but I'm getting older and um, but I've I've obviously learned other skills that I've actually been able to learn because I've let myself go a bit. I think I was so one-dimensional because I was so fixated on being so strong and fast that I just didn't work on the other stuff that Short Track has involved in it. And I was always fiddling with my blades, just trying to be like, oh, but these are more comfortable, these are faster, these are... And, you know, just didn't settle down on anything. And, and actually, racing is really about being comfortable and relaxed because that's how you move around the pack and um and for me like yeah I think there's a few things from this Olympics obviously I want the medal and I believe I can medal I want to go because I, I I want it to be about people getting through mental struggles as well 
I think that's really obviously really important for me is like showing that I don't think it's in the Olympic spirit to just give up because like okay I could sit here and be like I could be like a four-time Olympic medalist and be one of the most successful women on the planet you know and I'm not <laughs> and I could do, I could sit and mope about that or I could just be like you know I've showed different parts of the Olympic spirit that I still think are important and I mean you weren't in exactly the same place but you kind of get where I'm coming from in that sense <laughs> And then thirdly, like, yes, I want to end my career happy and enjoying my sport. You know, I want to end it thinking I still want to skate, even if it's not at the top level. Like I've always said now, which was nothing, like, this is mad because you know, I couldn't skate really. It's like I might stick around for the relays after, you know, and continue doing the relays because there's a mixed relay that we're really good at now. So, yeah, I'm completely different. And it's 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 so nice to go into the last game and not just being like, Am I going to get DQ'd three times? Am I going to medal? Am I going to be good enough? I just need this medal. I need it to prove to everyone. I need it to prove to me. I need it for everyone that supported me, you know. And like, yes, I still think that way, but I'm also there going, I love skating, you know, and I want to be out there and show people that skating is actually fun. Thanks again to Elise for speaking so openly, and we wish her well in her journey to next year's Winter Olympics in Beijing. This is Medals and More. I'm Catherine Granger. David Murdoch is a double world champion and three-time European gold medalist in curling. But after a fourth and fifth place finish in the Turin and Vancouver Olympic Games, it seemed the pinnacle of his sport, the Olympic podium, might just be out of reach. That was until Sochi 2014, when a skip he led Great Britain to a fantastic silver medal. Now as Olympic head coach, he's looking to oversee further success at Beijing 2022. It's been a really tough one for the athletes, really, because especially for curling, where we spend huge amounts of time in competition, it's quite different to some some other sports like like rowing for yourself, Catherine. That you know didn't compete every week. We we do compete nearly every single week in in Canada and Switzerland uh, around the world, and I think that's that's been the toughest thing that we've had to adapt to, and and we probably stressed adaptability most to the athletes about. Okay, that's that's another month that we're not going to compete. Uh, okay, there's another month, and I think that's been the challenging part for them that we've just not been going out and playing international competition. But what we did do there is we 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 really thought it out and went well. What can we do, and what can we do really that keeps us progressing? Can we get some gains somewhere? And we really thought hard about, well, what, what do we want to see in here? And, and what that led to was a series of competitions that we decided to create and try and, um, you know, simulate the competition that they were missing in some ways. Um, and, and even that was an interesting journey, actually, because the, the first one that we had, it felt quite like a training environment. And then we they quickly understood that, well, we aren't going anywhere and the next competition it was very different there was a lot more passion they understood um why they needed to perform they also probably understood that for selection purposes and with having our world championship at the end of the season this was the only thing that we were going to be able to measure them on is it a case of you know realistically we just we just don't want to lose anything we want to just you know be able to come out of this in a good place or is it possible to come out of this thinking Actually, we're doing we're doing some things better, in some ways better, despite all this, because we find new ways of doing it. I mean, is there a way to kind of almost come out with this even better than we would have otherwise? 
That was the thing we discussed the most, actually, was, you know, how, how can we come out of this better? What, what can we actually do that would just give us some sort of gains? Now, obviously, we, we couldn't bring international competition here, but could we, how could we simulate maybe the style of some of our international competitors? So could the coaching group simulate something that we, you know, that would be similar to that? And now that part was very difficult. Um, fortunately, we, we've got so many teams that are you know, very high up the world rankings. We've got teams as high as five in the world here. Um, and and our, our strength of field is, is really strong. So the competition was, was very high. And I think from that, it, it just allowed us to really, um, you know, keep exploring a few things. Um, it certainly allowed us to make great technical gains because we've, we've spent so much time here. We've managed to analyze their deliveries, their technique, their shot making capabilities. Now, that's not something we would ever have done, or we've done it in very small pockets. And generally, that would have been between tournaments, quite jet lagged from coming back from Canada before heading out to the next one. So the, the athletes have been almost in, in peak condition for, for a huge length of time. And how much is the focus on the World Championships, as you refer to, and, and sort of pushing ahead to that because that's the qualification and how much is it on next year and, and the actual games themselves yeah the world championships is a is a two-year qualification process so uh, you know what we look at there is the top seven would qualify plus china and then there'll be two spots up for grabs and in, in almost like a repassage like a, a second chance event that would be in december um unfortunately we just got news that our world women's championship just got cancelled so that's now off the table, which has left us a little bit in limbo as to what happens next. And, and uh, unfortunately, we don't know what's going to happen next. We, we are hopeful that the World Curling Federation can uh, still manage to manufacture this to happen somewhere. Uh, I don't know if that's even possible. Um, but our men's championship is will be going ahead in Calgary. They'd secured a almost a bubble um, several months ago with their Canadian health authorities. They're going to run their national championships across men's, women's and mixed doubles. So we're kind of hopeful that that all runs smooth over there for the next eight weeks and we'll still manage to get our world's men's championship done. But you know how it is just now. It's it's a constantly moving target. Um, so there's a few balls in the air. Um, but I am hopeful that even if we can't get this World Women's Championship going ahead, we'd still like to think we have two cracks um, at getting into the Olympics. They, they would look to try and create some sort of um, world replica, like Olympic qualifier, and then we'd still have the, the second chance in December again for the world qualifying event for the teams that would be left. So, yeah, uh, adaptability is the key again. <laughs> and how do you, I mean, how do you support the the women's team when they get that sort of news that suddenly the world's and the qualification is off? Uh, it's really tough. You know, I, I feel really sorry for for the for the athletes. You know, we we had the same last year where we were in Vancouver at the time with with Eve Muirhead's team. Um, we actually then arrived in Prince George, where the where the championships being held, and then we all got sent home. So that was it was really hard to take that one, and and uh, you know for a lot of sympathy for the athletes there. Equally, the, the men's team that was due to be held in uh, the world's held in Glasgow for Bruce Mowat's team, the same got cancelled. So we, we've dealt with those situations before. It's not nice, um, and, and you've just to you know put your arm around the guys and go right, okay. 
it is what it is. It seems to be our saying just now that, you know, he just uh, is what it is. We've just got to keep moving on. Um, I think it's tough that in some ways, maybe they're getting a little bit numb to it, actually, Catherine. They're maybe just getting used to the fact that everything just keeps falling through and it's that huge disappointment. And all we can do is try and stay super positive and, and make sure that the programme stays positive because at some point, we will be unleashed on the world. We we are ready to, to let let the let them go and I'm I'm really looking forward to the moment that happens. And how much do you think I mean you're a triple Olympian as an athlete yourself, how much has your experience as an athlete helped now that you're coaching? I mean I know you none of us as athletes went through the times that athletes are going through now, but how does your experiences help in, in this sort of situation? You know, you understand the disappointment. You understand that Oh, the tunnel's grown a little bit longer again. Oh, what does that mean? It's it's understanding the resilience that's required. And all you can do is just have really good discussions. And I think it's really important that you just really engage with with individually with them as teams and engage about, okay, what does this next block look like now, now that the goalposts have been moved? And I think if you're doing that, you're doing everything that you possibly can to, um, you know, look after their well-being. I think it's vitally important that, you know these athletes are are suffering at the same time. It's it's really really challenging, and we can't we can't forget that. And how do you find the move from being an athlete and delivering those results on the ice you did, and then the switch to the coaching role, which is not being able to go and deliver the result itself, but obviously key and crucial in very different ways. How do you find that change? Um, it's taken a while. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I thought uh, you know you, you don't know how it's going to go, and and. Um, I stepped away in 2017 uh, when, I, when I didn't get selected for Pyeongchang. Uh, I, I did a, year's, a full year's coaching within the programme and, and then I uh, managed to get the, this Olympic head coach job. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've, I've learned so much. I've, I've uh, made mistakes. I've done lots of things that I've, I've looked at my journey and, and always trying to be better. Uh, I've been really fortunate to be part of the UK Sport uh, Coach Leader Programme where uh, we have a cohort of, of many coaches and summer and winter uh, sports and the, the knowledge that I've gained just even speaking to some of those guys as well as my developers and lecturers um, and some of the work we've done um, together has been you know, brilliant, just simply so good for me to understand more about how other sports and situations um, even a lot of the reading we've done as part of the, the university work, um, just learning about different aspects of coaching has been essential. So, you know, when you roll all that together, I feel it came, you know, a, a big journey in, in the last few years. And obviously, you know, coaching is one of these things that it, it never, you never master it. You're always learning. You're always trying to apply different situations to different things and new scenarios keep popping up. And um, so long as you're willing to, always be better and, and adapt within that then I think that's all you can do. What would you say your biggest challenge you face as a coach has been so far? I'd say probably making the transition from at one point I was there you know you're you're on the floor you're the athlete and and quite very quickly I didn't really go away and then come back so it went from the floor to to the office in some ways and and that's that's probably been the part that I've had to engage with most about how to make that separation a little bit more um, you know you don't want to lose touch with your relationships and that you have with athletes but at the same time it's it's different boundaries now uh, and, and I think 
you know, it took a little bit of time just to, to get those boundaries set and, and get the athletes used to, you know, it's not Dave the, Dave the curler anymore, it's Dave, Dave the head coach, and that, that took a little bit of time. And I'd say now, a couple of years in, it's, it, it, it sits a lot better for me, and I'm sure it sits a lot better for the athletes, but it's, it's very different. You know, it's, uh, you know, some say you you went to the dark side, right? Or, or I'm not sure which side is the dark side, but it's, it's, it's very different. And, and, uh, but I'm loving every moment of it for sure. A lot of um, athletes I know who've gone into coaching have said, you know, they get a much greater appreciation of the coaching role when they actually do it themselves. Cause I think as an athlete, you have a, a sort of, you have an idea of what coaching is, but until you do it, you probably don't have appreciation of this, the scale of responsibility or the role it, itself how would you say your idea of coaching has changed from being an athlete and now that you're a coach um what i would say is i wish i could go back a few years and, and know what i know now uh you know i, I had great coaches over, over my career so many different characters different styles you know the pedagogy of of coaching is is vast right so um I, what i've tried to do is just embrace all of that and thought about all the the things maybe I thought were, you know, not necessarily always right for me, but were very effective. And also maybe how would I like to be treated as, you know, as an athlete? What 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 drove me? What what good things did coaching do that came towards me? Uh, you know, I, th I think when you try and roll in a lot of that, you're learning about yourself as a coach, but you're always trying to reflect on how are you coming across? What is it, what is important for an athlete? You know, what what does that athlete need? Because that's that's vital. Because we're we're so different. You know, I, I knew what I needed from a coach, but my teammate was so different. And I think if you're always thinking about that aspect of individually, what does that athlete really require to be better? And 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 if you if you can identify that, that's 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 the golden nugget, right? That's the one that really can get an athlete from here up to here. And and I think that's something we should always focus on is is the individuality of of everyone is is so unique. And it's brilliant because, as you say, you know, I mean, life is about learning, isn't it? Coaching, you, you know, you're always trying to achieve it. Very similar to as an athlete, you're always trying to improve yourself and be better. What would you say the hardest and therefore possibly best lesson you learned as an athlete would have been? Not to be complacent. Yeah, yeah I had a lot of highs in my career, a lot of lows. Uh, at times when I was probably winning the most winning world championships, there were still more in the tank and probably just needed more prodding towards that. Um, and it wasn't until I probably fell off the mountain a little bit and you have to start climbing the mountain again and you thought, oh, I could have climbed higher that first time. And I think that's where I was uh, post-Vancouver in some ways. We, we had five years of winning so many medals in the world and European stage. We went to Vancouver in 2010 as world champions, beating one of the best teams in the world, the Canadians, and, and we didn't come home with a medal. And, and that was probably the lowest of the low for me. And it also made me realize just maybe the work that I needed to do if I ever did want to get an Olympic medal. And, and it was that moment of realization, and that, that required a lot of people to get me to understand that. That wasn't... That wasn't something that I just thought, you know what, Dave, you need to go and do more. I, you know, I had ex-coaches, new coaches, psychologists tell me this, performance directors tell me, if this is what you want, this is what you need to do. So it was the, you know, family members 
go for it, Dave. You know, go and commit. Do everything you can do. And I think all that rolled into one makes you makes you understand maybe, well, if that's what you want, this is what you need to do to get it. It's hard work. It's going to require even more effort than you thought you needed to do, even though you were at the pinnacle, at the top of, of the mountain. But you're no longer at the top of the mountain. Uh, so I think for any of the athletes that have not got there or been up there and fell down, or even if you're still at the top of that mountain right now, there's a lot more to go. And and I don't think sometimes we, we realise that. And, and I think if uh, you always need to be reflective of what you do on a daily basis and also reflect on where are you going now? Where do you want to be and how are you going to do it? And do you think that mind shift was one of the big shifts? Because obviously Sochi, four years on from Vancouver, was, was your brilliant silver medal. And was that kind of constant drive to, you know, always be improving, always be looking at just what it's going to take to get there? Was that sort of the biggest shift that made that result come? Uh, yeah, I've actually no doubt that that was the case. Um, you know, one, one of our coaches um, arrived, a Swedish coach at the time, and, you know, I said, well, if you really want this, you, you've got to make some big, big lifestyle changes as well. So, you know, I, I left my family farm. I moved up to Stirling from my hometown in Lockerbie. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of finance around it to, to justify it. I'd lost some of my APA. I had to find a job around it. Um, and I basically worked, at, you know, 12, 14 hours with training and, and fit everything in for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, at one point I thought, God, is, is this really worth it? But, you know, you just got to stay focused on this this is this is your dream this is what i'm not giving it up i'm this is my last chance that was the way i saw it i'm gonna go one more time but i'm gonna give this absolutely everything and make sure that i've got no regrets and you know i was quite happy um going to sochi where regardless of the result i was comfortable and that wasn't really the case when i came back from vancouver um, so going to Sochi, I thought, Do you know what, I'm, I'm technically sliding better, I'm playing better, I'm mentally stronger, I'm physically stronger, I've done all the work with my team, I've trained more, uh, and I thought, well, what will be, will be now, and that's that's kind of cool, and, um, you know, there was even a couple of situations that week where we took, uh, we maybe took some chances that week uh, and didn't play safe, or, and there were some opportunities in games that, we decided to play those shots purely because I couldn't live with myself coming home and there was an opportunity to win. Or there's, you know, there's no point taking the risk. We'll probably lose if we do that. Let's take the risk. If we miss it, we go home. But if we play it and make it, I'll never look back and go, oh, I wish I'd played that shot. So there was, there was, I had that mindset going. And, uh, you know, I even told my wife before I left, I said, I'm, I'm coming home with a medal and this, this is the one, okay? So, you know, I just tried to be super positive about, I'd done the hard work. This is my mindset. I feel confident I'm going to the games to win. Uh, and, um, you know, I ended up having a, we ended up having a really good run. And, and unfortunately, we didn't get the goal, but... Um, you know, that, that sport at the end of the day, you, you can't win them all. <laughs> Absolutely. I know that myself. Being in that place as an athlete, it's a wonderful place to get to that, not that you don't mind what happens, but as you say, you know, think, things will happen that might be out of your control anyway. And, you know, you're just going to put your best, take the risks, you're comfortable to take risks and play your best games and, and the result will be the result. For you, was it possible to let go of that, I have to deliver Olympic medal or would it have been, you know, if you'd left not with the medal, would it still have been, it was all worth it? Would it have been, what have I done with my time? No, I think I think going going back to 
the fact that I, I gave it everything. I think if I'd, if I'd not, I would have been really uncomfortable with myself for a long, long time. I think, you know, you, you always reflect. And, and I, I, I was in a pretty dark place after um, Vancouver because I, I felt that was such an opportunity missed. And, you know, maybe we run that week again and, and we win it, right? I, I don't know. It's, it, maybe it's just a bad week. But certainly because you lose, you, you analyse everything. And for me, I analysed absolutely every part of that. And, and I thought, well, you can only go and, and be harder on yourself, be tougher on yourself. Um, and then with Sochi, I was, you know, I was just comfortable. I was happy that, well, this is it. I've, I've, got, I, I've got to the end now. I'm a little bit long in the tooth. I know I'm moving on, or, or certainly I was getting to the to the end of that. I wasn't necessarily retiring straight after Sochi, but I knew it was it was it could have been my last, put it that way. So, um, yeah, anything that I did there, I was quite happy with. In a way, by Sochi, the pressure's more, expectations more on yourself as much as anyone. Yeah. And yet, you can still let it go and enjoy it. Yeah, it was a little bit different too because there was me in my third Olympics, but I was with a. I was 10 years older than the rest of my team and it was their first Olympics. So, you know, you, you couldn't really show any sort of, you know, I'm nervous part. You had, to, you had to lead the team. You know, it was vitally important that as, as a skip and the experienced guy, you know, you were hell-bent and just delivering. Uh, you know, that's that's what it was about. So, Was it important it, that, considering you were leading clearly at that point, was it important almost not to show them any, if you had any, nerves or doubts were you yeah, kind of not for a second even the days that I did not for a second I was going to show in fact I wasn't even going to show the staff because that's I was just going to show them that I was there to lead and everybody just needs to be on board with this so yeah any doubts that I had or demons you know if the chimp was on the shoulder that day it was just you know like you're staying there and that's it don't even don't even don't even think about rattling your cage today because you're not getting out <laughs> And is that a bit similar as a coach now? Do you have the same sort of like? Uh, quite, quite, yeah, very much so. Yeah, whether you're, you know, it's anything now, isn't it, Catherine? It's whether you're standing up and, you know, I've done a webinar the, the other day in, in front of, uh, you know, 100 people that you can't see and you're talking about you've got to talk for an hour. Now, you know, you could be nervous about that. You, you can't show it. So you, you just got to get through what you need to do. And yeah, this is different now with, with coaching, but. I don't think it really changed, changes my mindset on that, no. So, Dave, we've loved watching you as an athlete and supporting you on the ice, and now we're going to love supporting you as a coach. So good luck with everything. Thank you very much, Catherine. I'm Catherine Granger. This is Medals and More, the podcast getting you behind the scenes of Olympic and Paralympic sport. Download and subscribe, and you won't miss a moment.